We've been talking about Samson, and hopefully he's a, he's a character that by now you're becoming more acquainted with. He is um, a big deal, I guess, uh, when you think about what he was able to accomplish. And his life was drastically effective, and he was drastically affected by the things of his life. But today I want to think a little bit more about some of the things that went in to make his life the way it was. And I want to start by thinking about the game Chinese Whispers. Hands up if you've heard of Chinese Whispers, the game. It's a really simple game. You, you line up. We used to play it in, in Sunday school in this kids' club thing that I was in when I was a kid called Awana, if you've ever heard of that. Anyway, down here you have uh, one person and you have a, like a line of people and the person down here gets the, the first message and it says something like, all bran is delicious. And then it goes all the way down and everybody's quietly whispering, telling people what the next part of it is. Until you get to the end of the line, and the message that said, all brand is delicious, comes out here and says, tall Jan is malicious. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where attention to detail really matters. It's the kind of thing where information, unfortunately, gets lost and sometimes changed. And the, the story about Samson, or more specifically about his purpose, is a little bit like this game. It's a, it's a game of Chinese whispers gone wrong. Uh, we want to look today at why this really matters, why the story matters. You see, Samson happens in the book of Judges, and if you're familiar with the book of Judges, it's, it's way back in the Old Testament, not long after uh, the children of Israel have come into the, the promised land. They haven't kicked all the bad guys out like God told them to do. Bad guys. The foreigners, I don't know, the, the locals, we won't worry about that. Uh, they, they haven't done quite as they were, they were told to do. So they're living amongst the Canaanites. There's different tribes around the country. Um, the country's shaped kind of like this, kind of tall. So every now and again, I might refer to Israel like this. Um, they haven't kicked people out. They're living alongside them. And it's okay because God kind of uses this to keep them under control. Every time the children of Israel kind of sin against God, they rebel against him, he uses the locals to punish them. Um, or rather to chastise them, let's call it like that. Like a parent with a, with a child might occasionally need to correct their behaviour. God uses the locals uh, that are living alongside the, the Israelites to, to bring them under control, if you will. Uh, and this cycle continues to happen throughout the whole book. So they love God, they sin against God, God brings in the bad guys to judge them, God brings a deliverer, a judge, to, to deliver them, and then they have a good period of time where they love him again, they sin, God judges them, God brings a deliverer, they love God again. And it happens this way all through the book. Uh, and there's a, there's a heap of them there. You've got, uh, they kind of go you know, through the book, they kind of go in like a good to bad judge kind of, I guess, pattern. So up here you've got Ehud. He's a, he's a left-handed guy. Uh, the story of Ehud is a fascinating one. You can sum it up in the day lefty killed fatty. He comes in and he delivers the people. He's a great leader. And then you come right down through the middle. You've got uh, guys like Jephthah. He was a thug, but he turned into a good guy because the nation needed him. And then down this other end, you have Samson who, well, we, we've met Samson. And then after, after him, we have uh, Eli who is the priest, and he's a good guy mostly, but he's a bad dad, and he's, his kids kind of ruin the whole system. And then the last one is Samuel, who hopefully you're, you're familiar with him. He, uh, he was a special child born to a mother who couldn't have children, and when God hears her cry and says, you can have a child, she offers Samuel back to the Lord uh, uh, as an offering. 
It's a fascinating list. If you haven't read through the book of Judges, I really recommend you do it. Um, there's a weird section at the end that isn't about the Judges. I don't want to encourage you to skip scripture, but don't stress too much about that. The story of the Judges is a fascinating one, uh, and the way God uses them uh, is amazing. And we're going to look at that today. As we look at Samson, I guess we need to know what's so special about Samson. There's a lot of stuff that happens here, but at the end of the day, what's so special about Samson is that he's a Nazarite, not a Nazarene like Jesus is from Nazareth. Nazarite is a special kind of vow. In Numbers 6, if you were to ever go and read through Numbers, a very exciting read. Uh, it, it's, the Nazarite vow is this temporary vow, and it comes from the word, the Hebrew word, is Andrew Brown here today? I don't want to mess it up. Nazar, which means to separate, basically. And uh, the, the Nazarites, the idea was that they would take this special vow to do some special things, or rather not do some special things, because they wanted to be publicly seen as doing something special for God. Now, Tim has definitely touched on this, so we don't need to go into too much detail. Three things they're not allowed to do. They're not allowed to drink strong drink, so that's wine and vinegar and things like that. They're not allowed to touch dead things, i.e. a carcass that might be sitting on the side of the road, and you're not allowed to cut your hair. The cutting their hair is actually a really important one because it's a very public declaration of this, uh, this vow, this separation that, that they're trying to perform, this duty to God. It's a very, very real separation. They'd have missed certain things because of this. Uh, back in, in their time, celebrations were a big deal. And if someone had a wedding, everybody would go, and they'd go for like a week. In fact, you see with Samson's, the party seems to go for, for days. Uh, and it'd, it'd go for about a week. And people would be drinking wine, but there'd be someone stuck in the corner who probably wasn't, and that's the Nazarite. If, if a Nazarite went to a wedding, they couldn't really participate the same way. Funerals, they couldn't really participate in funerals the same way. Funerals in their culture, and still in Israel today, are a really big deal. Um, they can, uh, for the closest people, they'll go for up to a month. Um, uh, so people will come along, and if, if you were a Nazarite, you couldn't really participate. You couldn't be close to, to, to a corpse, especially if it was like a, a close loved one. In fact, there are cases in, in, in history recorded where a Nazarite had to start their vow again. Why they have to start their vow again is because, again, this is really serious. A vow taken in Old Testament times was legally binding. So if you said, before everybody, I'm taking a Nazarite vow for six weeks, they were usually temporary for six weeks. If something happened in that six weeks and, uh, and you messed up your vow, you had to start again. Right, that was the law. So we've got these people who, uh, who really stand out. They, uh, they, they're not participating in celebration. They're not participating in mourning like everybody else. And they've got a bigger, a, a bigger a mange of hair and probably, uh, in a male case, uh, more, more beard than a hipster in Brunswick. They, they really stand out. It was a really hard thing to sign up for. It's not the kind of thing that would be taken lightly. And it was done for a purpose, we said. Like they separate themselves so that they would be different from everybody else with the purpose of doing something special for God. Last of all, when the vow was done, there was a series of sacrifices that had to, had to be made. And this was costly. You had to provide certain things for the sacrifice. And you, had, you went to the, the priest, to, to the temple or to the tabernacle, and had your hair cut, and that would be thrown on the, uh, on the altar as part of the sacrifice, signifying that the vow was over. Samson is not the only Nazarite we hear of in the Bible, obviously. Uh, interestingly, a guy we mentioned just a moment ago, Samuel, 
So he's the last of the judges and first of the, of the prophets. Uh, we see in 1 Samuel 1.11 uh, that he is declared to be a Nazarite. He, will, he won't ever shave his head, his mother says. Um, uh, he's a little bit of a different character to, to Samson, but it's, I find it interesting that one of the last judges and, and uh, the very last judge and one of the first prophets shares this. Uh, it seems like maybe John the Baptist, if you look in Luke 1.15, uh, it seems like John the Baptist maybe did. We don't know for sure um, that he was a, a Nazarite, but we're pretty confident that the Apostle Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 18, he says he has to go uh, and cut his hair because he took a vow. It's very likely that, that Paul, at least on one occasion, maybe on some others, uh, had taken the Nazarite vow for, for whatever purpose. And then in Acts 21, we actually hear of some others. There were these four, four dudes who, uh, who had to not only get their hair cut, but someone had to help them pay for the sacrifice to, to go uh, and have their vow officially uh, finalised. It's all very, very strict. Uh, and in most cases, probably didn't come with like, fancy powers to, to, to make the payoff worth, worthwhile. But we see in Samson it did. Um, we see Samson was obviously once upon a time probably a normal kind of guy or would have been a normal kind of guy but because of his vow and specifically we learn tied to, the, to his hair he, he's really strong how strong is Samson? Uh, well, we know that at some point in time when he's trapped in, the, in, in Gaza City he rips off the, the gates of the city we're talking a couple of ton uh, puts them on his back and trots up a hill somewhere I'm into running but I'm not able to do that. Jason, you're into running. Maybe he's a, Jason's bigger than me, so maybe he could, he could handle the door back there. But I, I'm, I'm going to posit the theory that even Jason Riding couldn't handle uh, the gates to the city up a hill. Samson is a really strong guy. We know he's pretty agile. Uh, at one point when he's pretty angry at some people, because that's his thing, he, uh, he is able to catch a heap of foxes. I don't know if you've ever seen a fox in the wild. They're pretty agile. He's able to chase them down, grab them, hold them long enough to tie their tails together and then set them off to, to do his nefarious work. He, he's a really agile kind of guy. And this is all because the Spirit of God comes on him as a part of his vow to accomplish something. And I guess that's what we need to think about next. Why did all this happen to Samson? You'll actually find that it's not really a secret. Uh, I, I used to think that, that you know, this is a weird story and, and kind of things happen and, and, I, and I guess it just, we'll just have to accept that. But Samson uh, actually had a purpose. In Judges chapter 13, if you've got your Bibles, by all means, open them to there. We can read a little bit about it in, in the very first part of the story. It says, The sons of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Remember our cycle? Uh, that's, that's where we're up to in the cycle. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines, that's the people down the bottom near Gaza, uh, for 40 years. Now there was a certain man of Zorah, which is down kind of near there, a certain man of Zorah from the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife, we're going to call her Mrs. Manoah, his wife was barren and had no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have borne no children. Thanks for stating the obvious. But you shall conceive and give birth to a son. So then, be careful. Don't drink any wine or strong drink. Don't eat any unclean thing. For behold, you will conceive and you'll give birth to a son and no razor will come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the, from the womb and he shall begin to deliver the Philistines 
uh, Israel from the hands of the Philistines. That's the key right there. At the very end of the vow, this, this messenger, this angel says, he's going to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. Now, you reckon this would be a big deal. Right? They've been oppressed for a, a fair bit of time. Mrs. Manoa, in her excitement, um, and it's an exciting thing to find out you're going to have a child, especially if you thought you couldn't, she, she's pretty excited and she runs to her husband and says, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome, not in the way we would go, awesome. Like very awesome, like full of like, awe and fear. And I didn't ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name, but he said, behold, you'll conceive a son uh, and you will give birth, but don't drink any wine or strong drink. Don't eat anything unclean, for the boy will be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death, the end. She's unfortunately, in the excitement, missed a bit of the detail. Again, that Chinese whispers things, from all brand is delicious to tall Jan is malicious. She's left off a little bit of the information. It's really important information, I would suggest. But she's got the rules down, I guess. It's easy to, to think, you know what, you've got the rules, that's cool. We know this is a really big deal, though, because it's a, a, a Nazarite vow. Manoe himself thinks, oh, gosh, I wonder if... If there's anything missing here, I, I get that these rules are really important. God, if you can hear me, uh, can you send the messenger back and I'd like to get the info for myself. So uh, God actually hears Manoah's prayer and sends the angel back again. And uh, Manoah gets to meet the angel and asks him. And the angel essentially says to him, everything that I've already told you is what you need to go. So he, unfortunately, Manoah doesn't get the information either. But the most important thing for us to know is that Samson had a purpose. And that's that he was to deliver Israel, or begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Unfortunately, it looks like the message never got through. It's probably the kind of thing that Samson uh, had wondered his whole life. Why am I so different? Why, why can I rip animals apart? Why can I outrun foxes? Why, why am I like this? And it seems that just for whatever reason, he, he was probably never told. Samson never knew he had a purpose. In fact, all he knew were rules. I don't know if you've lived under rules. I mean, we all live under rules. Um, but sometimes they can feel like they define you. And I guess it should come as no surprise then that someone who had such a strict life with such strict rules might occasionally slip up. Uh, I wonder whether rules are even enough to succeed. Have you ever been on a diet? Right. I've been on a diet. I used to be bigger and now I'm littler. And that takes diet. But I love chocolate at least as much as everybody else, probably more. When you're on a diet, every now and again, it's just a little bit of chocolate, a little bit of chocolate, one block of chocolate here, one block of chocolate there. Right. It's, that's block, not square, block of chocolate. Um, I don't know, if you've done the 40-hour famine, um, you get to the end of it and, gosh, all you want to do is, like, grab a burger and, you know, if you're vegetarian, you, you grab a tofu burger and tell yourself that it's okay. So why should we be surprised that after, like, 20 years of his life, so roughly, probably 20 by the time Samson is getting married, I guess, why, why should we be surprised that someone who's had these three rules for no real reason, his whole life, he sometimes flirts with the edges. Uh, I, you know what, if I do this, I'm still kind of strong. That's okay, I can, I can like this girl who's not from my clan. I'm, I'm still quick. 
I can, I can grab this honey out of this dead animal. That's okay, I'm still very good looking. I don't think that was part of, part of his strength. But Samson, he was flirting with the lions because that were just rules. Like, who cares? You know, if nobody ever knew, what's the big deal? I guess God, I mean, I'm not God, obviously. Uh, I, I guess God must have looked at him and, and just at times been so disappointed. Um, and I guess I wonder, what, what, what's God going to do with someone like this? What does, what's God going to do with a guy who doesn't, doesn't want to play by the rules? I mean, yes, God, you said you've got a purpose, but can't you just pick somebody else? It seems not. It seems uh, when God has a plan, he's going to stick to it. Let's have a look at uh, Judges 14, verse 4. He's, he's, uh, his parents, this is at the start of the wedding, like where, where he says, I want that girl from Timna, one of the Philistines. I don't want her, get her for me. I really want her. She's awesome. I want her. She's not one of my people. In fact, it's displeasing to God if I marry her, but I want her. And his parents are a little upset about this. Uh, so in verse 3, we see Samson said to his father, get her for me, she looks good to me. However, his father and mother didn't really understand that this was from God. For God was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Because at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Samson didn't get the big picture, unfortunately. But God's still on mission. God's still on task. Uh, God's going to work on the circumstances to make sure that Samson is the guy who's going to lead Israel from under the Philistines. So this whole situation with the marriage, the whole thing going wrong, remember how Tim taught us that he, he made a riddle and, and things kind of went belly up and he got really angry and all of a sudden he, he was running around like ripping clothes from people and all these things, all these things happen. There's a battle later where he kills a thousand people with the jawbone of a jawbone of a donkey. It's a really interesting phrase there. He grabs a fresh jawbone of a donkey. I'm presuming out of a donkey. Where do you find a fresh jawbone on the ground? He grabs this jawbone. He kills a thousand people. All these things happen so that Samson would have a reason to hate the Philistines. God's still on mission. God still wants to accomplish what he has to do. He promised his, his people Israel that he loves them. Right? He's not going to back out on them. He said all the way back to Abraham, he said, I'm going to be with your people. And he's going to deliver them. And here he is again now. Even though Samson doesn't get it and Samson isn't playing by God's rules, I guess, if you will, he's flirting with danger, God uses these things to accomplish his will. Sadly, Samson doesn't really understand that he's the key to all of it. So his decisions and his perspective are never focused on the same thing as God's plan. He never gets to fully enjoy that he's a special part of the plan because it should have been amazing. Samson should have been like, yeah, I'm delivering you guys from the Philistines. This is going to be a great party. I can't wait. But the whole time he just thinks, why me? Why is all this stuff happening to me? To him it all just seems like trouble. It's because he doesn't really know that he has a purpose. And you might even ask, what's the big deal? Is there something wrong with not having a purpose? But I read the story of Samson, and I see three things th that, that come about because Samson doesn't know that he has a purpose. I see that he, when emotions take over, he loses his focus. We heard about this a couple of weeks ago. Tim talked about this. Samson gets carried away in the moment. I don't know about you, but like, I'm human and most of the time, and, and sometimes emotions get the better of me. Uh, 
it might be in my car when I want to yell at someone when I'm driving down the road. It might be when I'm watching the footy, thinking that a, an umpiring call has gone wrong. It might be when someone used the last bit of milk at work and didn't get a new jug of milk. Like Sometimes, emotions get the better of me. In Samson's case, instead of being a vehicle of justice, he became an instrument of hate because he lost his focus and allowed his emotions to dominate him. Emotions aren't a bad thing. Like We're made to have them. Yeah. Uh, in John chapter 4, where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, he, uh, he alludes to emotions when he says, God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And he, you know, when he uses that word spirit there, he's alluding to, to our emotions. We're, we're supposed to be emotional beings, but we're not supposed to be controlled by them. And Samson loses his focus because he has no purpose, and so his emotions take over in, in key moments. Not only did he lose his focus, he lost his humility. Tim talked about this again, at the, the battle with the jawbone. Samson uh, gets to the end of it. Actually, let's read it because the language is very explicit. Uh, Judges chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. Uh, when he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, again, I'm guessing from inside the donkey, he reached out and he took it and he killed a thousand men. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps of them, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. Yeah. He's not particularly humble about this. Now, God's going to fix that in a few verses' time, actually, just by making him thirsty. Um, but God, because Samson has no real purpose and his emotions take over and he loses his focus, he also lost his humility. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Sometimes we can, if we lose... Track, track of what purpose is about. We, we can lose our focus and we can lose our humility. Finally, we see uh, the few things, that, the importance of purpose in Samson's life. He lost his identity. He became someone that he didn't even recognize. You've all hopefully heard of Delilah uh, and Samson's uh, relationship with her. Um, in chapter 16, verse 20, we hear about uh, what, what becomes of, of Samson when he finally gives in and he uh, tells Delilah what, what the secret to his strength is. She nags him for, for a while and says, Oh, Samson, you're making a fool of me. Won't you tell me where your strength lies? And surprisingly, as is his weakness, he gives in to, uh, to, his, to the woman he's with and, uh, and tells her his deep, dark secret. Well, deep hairy secret he uh and he says to her um if you cut off uh, my no razor has ever been on my head if you cut my hair uh, that's the end of my strength and in 16 verse 20 we see samson lose his identity so she made him sleep on her knees verse 19 and called for a man and they shaved the seven locks of his hair isn't that interesting all that hair seven locks uh shaved the seven locks of his hair then she began to afflict him and, and his strength left him she said Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out just at other times and I will shake myself free. Because that's what he'd done his whole life. Like, he loved playing this trick. Oh, if you tie me with new chords, oh, I'll be so weak. And out he goes. And so he's going to do this again. Like, it's no big deal. This is, this is his favorite party trick. Everyone's got a, a party trick. This is Samson's. Uh, and he gets there, uh, I will shake myself and I will be free. But... He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. This is like the saddest verse in the Bible to me. Right? Someone who 
I mean, I, I know that Old Testament saints, uh, theologically speaking, didn't really experience the Holy Spirit like we do now. Um, but Samson had it in such a special way, and he didn't even know that the, that the Lord had departed from him. And that's the thing. You can lose your focus when emotion, and emotions can take over. You can lose your humility. You know, that's, that's horrible, but, you know... We like a bit of pride in, the, in, in society these days. It seems fake until you make it. But to lose your identity, especially your identity in God, it's just the saddest thing. The small steps that our sinful choices lead us down, they don't just lead us somewhere we don't want to be. They don't just lead us somewhere God doesn't want us to be. They change us into someone God doesn't want us to be. They change us from the inside. You might think that making little choices is just, it's, it's all right, it's just a bad little choice. I'll be fine tomorrow. Little choices lead you to bad places and little choices lead you to be the wrong person. If I'm honest, growing up, I never had much sympathy for Samson. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, yeah? Three rules. Don't, don't drink booze. Uh, don't touch dead things, which I, as a, a smaller boy, I get that, that you're curious about those things. You poke them and you want to... Anyway, um, don't drink the booze, don't touch the dead things, and uh, don't cut your hair. It's pretty simple. But really, I think I, I probably never understood Samson because I probably thought I wasn't like him, wasn't special like him. I guess I probably thought I wasn't special enough to need a purpose like his, I mean, God's not trying to use me to deliver Israel. He's not even trying to use me to deliver Mount Evelyn, which is where I live. Right? God, sometimes it's, it's hard enough just delivering my family to church. Like, God's not using me for something special like that. I don't know, maybe you've questioned the same thing. Why, why does God want to use me? How does God want to use me? And sometimes our circumstances seem to like cloud some of that. I don't know if stuff ever happens to you. I don't know if life ever seems too much for you. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself, why is my life so confusing? I'll guarantee you Samson did. What am I doing with my life? I'll guarantee Samson asked that. How did I become this person? Have you ever asked yourself that? How did I, how did I get here? These little choices that made me someone else. I remember me, and I was, I was nice. But now? Have you ever asked yourself, what does God want from me? I'll guarantee Samson asked that. These days I really feel for Samson. I really feel, uh, feel for him because it seems like he never knew that God had a purpose for him. He never knew why God made him so special and why all these horrible things kept happening to him. Yes, he made bad choices, but all this stuff keeps happening because God's got a purpose. So what about me and my life, right? What about us? We're not Samson. We're not a couple of thousand years ago. We're, we're not cohabiting with Philistines. We, we don't, we're not oppressed. No, God is not trying to deliver me and to use me to deliver Israel. And you know what? He may not even be using you to be super strong and to be able to fight a thousand people at once, although Street Fighter champions back there, right, rock on. 
You may not have the dream life where you're leading thousands of people. That's cool. God still has a purpose. If you know God, he still has a very specific purpose for you. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he, that's his son, might be the very firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I want to read that again, if it's all right, with a, a different emphasis. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. It's no secret. Just like Samson's purpose wasn't a secret originally, it's no secret what God wants from those who know him, from those who love him. He wants us to be like Jesus. Now, I know that's a nice cliche. We should all get WWJD t-shirts. and Just what would Jesus do? Live like him. Yeah, you know what? The detail of it is, is not always as easy as that. But over the top of our lives... Our purpose should simply be, be like Christ. If you're in relationship with God, his purpose is that you be like Jesus. He's a winner. If you turn out like him, you'll be a winner too. Now, like I said, that's sometimes easier said than done. And rather than give you like a set of rules for how to turn out like Jesus, I want to read a story that... Um, well, to me, I think it, it, it shows how God wants us uh, to figure out what it means to be like Jesus. Bear with me. I love a, I love a good uh, storybook. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall, and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver, and all lived in the same village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of grey dot stickers. Up and down the streets all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars or sticking dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, they always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint a little chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else and get another star. Others, though, they could do little. They got dots. Punchinello was one of those. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, 
the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched. So the people would give him more dots. Then, when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemex would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't even want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat, he'd step in the water, and then people would just give him another dot. In fact, he had so many grey dots that some people would come up and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Pachinoa believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. A few times he went outside. He hung around with other Wemmicks who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day, he met a Wemmick who, wasn't un who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots, no stars, she was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers, it's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and, and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stick either. That's the way I want to be, said Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick, how did she do it? Oh, it's easy, Lucia replied. Every day, I go see Eli. Eli? asked Punchinello. Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you go find out for yourself, she said. Go up the hill, he's there. And with that, the Wemmick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. So he decided to go and see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch up on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. Hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. Oh, I'm not staying here, and he turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and, and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and he looked at the large, large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and he picked him up and he set him on the bench. Hmm. The, grey maker, the maker spoke thoughtfully and he looked at all the grey dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, 
and I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed, me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast, I can't jump, my paint is peeling. Why would I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello and put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day, Eli said, I've been hoping you'd come. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? Yeah, the stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, Eli said, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand, said Punchinello. Eli smiled. You will. But it'll take time. You've got a lot of marks. And for now, I want you to, to come and see me every day and let me remind you of how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick passed out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop. But in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. God loves you so much more than, than you know. God loves me so much more than I can understand. He loves you and he has a purpose for you. If you don't know him, I promise, just start there. God wants to know you. Draw near to him. Go and find him. Tim's here. He would love to tell you about how, how you can know God. Find out more about him. If you do know him, remember in James where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you? That's what God wants. That's what Eli wanted from, from all the Wemmicks. That's what God wants from us. We know our purpose is to be more like Christ. The, the how is just draw near to God. There are some ways that can happen. Uh, reading what he thinks is a great way. Praying and hearing his voice is, is a great way. Coming to church and being surrounded by people who love God as well is a great way. But most importantly, spend time with God. Spend more time with him because he thinks you're special. Because he made you, because he loves you. To him, you are special. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the life of Samson who, I guess wanted to, to know what it was all about. Um, God, may we learn about your purpose in our lives. May we see Samson's life and, and understand just how much we mean to you. And Lord, we may not have a special purpose like, like delivering a nation, but God, you do have a plan for each and every one of us. God, may we draw near to you so that we can understand that. Thanks that it's not a secret, that it's not something that, that should surprise us, that you want us to know your will.
God, we thank you so much uh, for the way you reveal these things to us. May we draw near to you. May we be close to you as you draw near to us and take us in your arms and tell us that you love us.